Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Now, uh, this is actually the second show we've recorded since we've been back from NDC, but uh, the, the first one that's getting published. So I feel I should tell everybody again about what I've been doing the last week. Right. Yeah. It's a little festival that I put on in my town called Keto Fest. It's a ketogenic food and science festival that uh, Richard knows all about planning big events. This was the first one that I ever did. And I gave myself an A minus. There was just nice. a few things that could have gone more smoothly. All of these things can be better. However, as you pointed out, Richard Campbell, most conferences or, or whatever events like this where you have 200 or more people don't usually make money no. the first time. No. You know? But we broke even. And uh, we consider that a huge success. We had about 238 people register. We started with Kickstarter, and then we sold tickets. And then um, uh, we had about 300 people all together and took over the town and turned to ketogenic for the weekend. That's fun. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about it, just go to ketofest.com, K-E-T-O-F-E-S-T. And hopefully by now, we'll have some pictures and videos and stuff up there. That's cool. That's it. When when this show is publishing, I'll already be on my crazy tour across New Zealand and Australia. Yeah. Talking humanitarian toolbox in Auckland and Taranga, Canberra, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Sydney. Yep. I think I'm definitely going to go next year. I couldn't do it this year, but uh, it just sounds like you guys are having so much fun, and I'm going to make room on my schedule for it early. Right. Well, yeah. if you're going next year, it'll be for the conference, not for my tour. Yeah, yeah. That's right. The NDC Australia conference. Right. Different from your tour. Yes. Yes. Different from I thought tour. they were all related. Well, we are doing a codathon at NDC Sydney for Humanitarian Toolbox, same way we did in London. Right. But uh, but I've got a lot of stops ahead of that. To You're jamming to it all into one big tour. Three weeks. Wow. Awesome. around a week in New Zealand. Going to get a little bit of family time as well, because the family's down there. Right. And then uh, uh, two weeks around... Uh, southeastern corner of Australia. I'm sorry if your city's not on the list. That wasn't my intention to try to do everything, but there's only so many hours. Mm. Okay. Well, let's get right going here with Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? Well, Telerik a.k.a. Progress. I heard of them. Uh, has a, a, a sort of a new tool that's a vamp on an old tool, but uh, I believe it's new anyway. It's called Just Assembly. Hmm. It's free. It's essentially um, decompiling and comparing .NET assemblies, keeping API changes in check, a binary code diff and a method diff, and you can compare build outputs. And it is powered by the Just Decompile engine, which Just Decompile, as you know, we've, we've had that for a while. Sure. Um, but but this is cool because it's it's free. Yeah, I can't argue that. Just assembly. Telerik.com slash just assembly. Interesting. So you yeah. don't actually need access to the source per se, right? You can actually you're comparing two different DLLs. Right. So you could you could be checking anybody's stuff just a way right. to validate that you're getting right. what you expect. Yeah, you do get the decompiling, but um but it, it's more like a you know a diff tool and sure. uh, keeping track of changes. It's pretty cool. That's neat. Yeah, it's awesome. So, know it, learn it, love it. And uh, who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1460, the one we did with one Anders Halsberg. Hey, I've heard of that guy. Never heard of him. Uh, talking about TypeScript. And actually, you know what? Just talking to Anders. Do you remember? We recorded that at Build. Yeah. Which admittedly was a while ago. But yeah. He's awesome. Like just you just sit and, and you got your hands under your chin with a big smile on your face going, look, Anders is talking. <laughs> yeah. Kind of have to pay attention once in a while. Uh, he's, yeah, he's just got such an elegant way of answering your question. It lets you know he's thought about this for a lot longer than you have. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> very smart and, guy. Uh, and it was a big tweet storm around it. People very excited to hear from him. Got a few comments on the show. This one's from Martin Blaustein, who says, amazing and very funny episode. Love TypeScript as a .NET developer. I feel that TypeScript is definitely the way to go and coupled with the latest uh, Equiscript 6 and 7 features. It allows us to write readable and scalable JavaScript to every platform. So, uh, Anders, keep making TypeScript great, and you guys keep making awesome podcasts, and please keep talking about how things were in the beginning. It's always great to understand where we come from, especially for developers that are new, like me, and who only started a few years ago. Yeah. 
Uh, Martin, funny you should say that because one of the things I'm doing on this tour is testing some material around writing a book on the history of .NET because uh, folks seem to be really interested in, as we're sort of at a high point for .NET right now, it mm -hmm. seems, it's probably a good time to look back and take a look at where we came from. You know, I think it's still kind of prevalent out there in the conventional wisdom that Node.js is the performance leader on the web. And they don't realize that ASP.NET Core surpassed it. Yeah, well, we, we remember uh, Scott Hunter come and talk to us a few times about, we're going to do this, and they, they did it. They did it. Took them a while, a lot of work, but they got there. And a lot of people don't know that. So, you know, I think that's uh, something that we as .NET enthusiasts ought to point out. When somebody says, no, we're going to use Node because it's fast. Well, okay, if you want the fastest, you actually want to be on .NET Core. Right. And then in the end, it's still a question of, did you really need that much speed? Like, uh, right. I've tweeted to in a lot of sites over the years, and most of the time, you only need so much speed. It's, it gets kind of silly. Yep. But either way, Martin, glad you enjoyed the show. We loved talking to Anders, and a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media, because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us your tweets, preferably compiled. <laughs> <laughs> little web assembly on that tweet little all right let's uh bring on john galloway john is the executive director of the dotnet foundation he's been a professional developer since the late 90s spending most of that time on asp.net he's been in microsoft for seven years now speaking and teaching at worldwide events microsoft virtual academy courses writing training kits and helping to build conference keynote demos he's one of the hosts on the herding code podcast and has written some books about ASP.NET MVC. And uh, he also saw a pretty big spider on his desk yesterday, but he hasn't seen it since, so he's a little on edge right now. We'll try not to startle you, John. Welcome. The spider scared me out of my office. <laughs> well, it occurs to us that you've been on panels on .NET Rocks, and we've talked to you at NDC and things, but this is your first time as just you. I'm so excited. I, I was telling you before, right, when we started the call up, I was listening to .NET Rock since the very beginning. And it was a big part of, you know, helping me progress from my day-to-day -day corporate developer world, you know, to like becoming aware of so much that's out there and learning about all these different things. And it really helped my career. Right. So thank you. Oh, no problem. That's what we've been doing. And uh, it's it's great to see other people come up through the ranks and be go from listeners to podcasters. And you guys have had a good run and are still going strong at Herding Code, you and Scott. Yeah. And uh, so we also have Kevin Dente and Scott Kuhn are when when available. And yeah, Scott Allen and I record a lot of shows. Like we, we recorded several at NDC uh, Oslo. So that's always yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, man, where should we start? Um, it's uh, We, we want to talk about Summer of Code, but you do a whole lot more. You've, this bio is pretty pretty outrageously cool. Uh, director of the .NET Foundation, how's that going? It's exciting, interesting. It's, uh, it's always a learning experience. So, I started that in March. Um, you know, it's funny. I've been at Microsoft for a while. I've been doing .NET stuff, but I've actually never been on the .NET team until, until now. And so, you know, people would always say like, hey, what's it like on the .NET team? I say, I have no idea, you know. <laughs> so, um, so, but yeah, so I, I joined the .NET team and I'm the executive director at the .NET Foundation. I'm also the janitor and, you know, everything else. Uh, <laughs> so, the, there is a, a board of directors, there's an advisory council and stuff, but I'm the only kind of full-time person working on .NET Foundation. Um so I figure I I can make up any title I want. So I'm the executive director. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nah, uh, so, but um, it's it's great. So so uh, you know, uh, one of the hard things was just explaining to people what exactly is a .NET Foundation. Like you know, people say congratulations. So what would you say you do here? You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Yep. So, you know, that's that's been a, a decent part of it is kind of, you know, figuring out what exactly, like, what what all it is and then how to communicate it to people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from what I understand, .NET Foundation is a curation uh, service, right? You guys curate projects that, um, you know, open source projects on dot, around .NET, not just things that are in the framework, but, but other projects. Like, I know Poly, for example, is, 
in the foundation? Yeah, there's a lot of projects that that are you know not not Microsoft started or Microsoft run projects. So there's like you know just a few Prism, Cake, Nancy FX, XUnit, hmm. Identity Server, Orchard, Umbraco. There's a bunch of them you can see listed if you go on. Um, github.com slash .net slash home or just at our website .net, .net foundation.org yeah. and there's a projects area. But yeah, so so that's something, uh, you know, there. I kind of break it down to there's two real main things that .net foundation does. Um, and one is it's a separate foundation. It's not Microsoft. It's not, and there are other people that are, there are other companies that are involved in and contributing to um to .NET, you've got Samsung with Tizen, you've got Google, you've got uh, Red Hat, um, you know, several, um, you've got Unity, uh, um, JetBrains. So these are all companies that are um, part of the technical steering group. And and um, so the idea there is it's a it's a kind of a like a Switzerland. It's a it's a place where it's, you know, you've got Microsoft developers Mm. that are paid by Microsoft working all day, checking in code to GitHub, but when you look at the copyright, it doesn't say copyright Microsoft. It says copyright.net foundation. So hmm. the f- when they do those commits, that's a, they've, they've donated it. They've contributed that code to.net foundation. It's almost like a place of honor, right? You can see that the, the projects that are, that make the.net foundation are obviously deemed by the foundation to be, um, good quality projects in, in with good value and, and, and alive, you know, being updated. Is it, have you ever had yeah. the idea to, uh, maybe this project is kind of dying. Maybe we should boot it out or once in, always in. Well, you know, part of the goal really of the foundation is to keep a project alive. Right. So, you know, I mean that that's, and that includes like those other projects I mentioned earlier, you know, you think of something like X unit. Um, this is something you'd would like to stay around. You want to keep this project healthy. And so many open source projects are, just one or two developers, really, they're the core. You know, you you pick basically any any library, even some of the bigger ones. Um, you go look at the commit history, and it's it's usually one or two people being heroes. You know, <laughs> and then what happens if you know the traditional thing is someone gets hit by a bus? But I had a project manager say they don't like that. That's kind of negative, so yep. they prefer to say wins the lottery. Ah. So, so what happens if that, you know, the, the, your hero that's running that project wins the lottery, what happens to the project? <laughs> yeah. And it, it's always the saddest thing for me when I'm searching around for something, I find this wonderful looking library and then I go to their, you know, GitHub or, or wherever. And I go to their repo and I see last commit three years ago. I'm like, oh no, you know, <laughs> and it's like there's a bunch of unanswered issues and pull requests are just lingering. And so, so part of what we do when these projects join .NET Foundation is we set up things with them to keep the projects healthy long term. So, yeah, right. yeah, so that includes things like setting up, you know, automation. There's a, a there's a DNF admin GitHub account where we are, join and become an administrator on the account. So if somebody you know says, hey, I'm done with this project we've got a system in place to kind of keep things moving, bring on new committers, all that kind of stuff. And then other stuff that just is, is um, we have some other like kind of services that we provide for projects that join that are just things that are kind of, when you're running a project and you're busy, you don't want to have to deal with renewing certs. You don't want to have to deal with setting up build servers and signing servers and right. stuff. And and so that's something where we have these, you know, kind of enterprise accounts and we'll help set those things up for people. Very nice. Yeah. So, I mean, I really feel like, you know, there's the, the two, it's, it's true. It is, it is an honor to join .NET Foundation, I hope. And it's something where I've talked to people that run projects and they say, Hey, you know, one of the big benefits is when we go in and talk to a company or when developers want to use our library in a big app, they can say, "Hey, it's a .NET Foundation project," right. and and their their bosses say, "Okay, you can use it." Nice. But I think the two biggest things, really, that we offer is one: it's a it's a common place where companies and people can all contribute code together. You know, you've got Microsoft employees, you got Ben Adams working on Kestrel, you got all these people around the world contributing yeah. code, and it's all copyright .NET Foundation. So that's the one thing. And then the second thing is keeping open source .NET projects that are valuable, keeping them healthy, keeping them, having a long-term support thing for them. 
yeah, I mean, that being said, if you want a project to get into the foundation, you have to keep working on it, right? Like you, you, you guys don't allow abandonware. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, you know, I've had that discussion, like right when I was first starting, we had things where people wanted to kind of dump a project. They're like, we're done with this. Let's, uh, let's donate it to the .NET foundation. Right. Like you give something to Goodwill or something. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know, that's that. not at all. Yeah. And, and what we really kind of, we have a, a kind of a, interview and a questionnaire process where we go through with people and we say, what's your long-term vision? Do you have a process in place for bringing on maintainers? Do you have a process in place for, you know, how does a committer, you know, get commit rights? Right. Right. So all that sort of thing. It's like, no, we don't want things that people are done with. We want projects that are, you know, on the way up that sure. are going to stay now, around. That for being a while. said, if I'm someone who's come up with a project, put it on GitHub, it's got a lot of traction. I'm, feeling over my head mm -hmm. can the dotnet foundation help me with understanding how to do those things like bringing in contributors that get commit rights and, and things like that yeah absolutely yeah and we have some guidance on that stuff too so as, as people join there's there's um a checklist that we go through with them and it has some things like hey here's some stuff you should look at uh, you know so on, on our repo it's it's a uh, github github.com.net home and then there's a guidance folder and in there right. we have a new new projects checklist and so this is our first thing people say how do we join .NET foundation and we have them work through this pro uh, process and for instance a, a project that's just joined by the time this comes out will have been announced but is uh is automapper so i've been working with oh great the team on that and and you know jimmy bogart and the people working on on Automapper are total pros. They've been doing open source, you know, for a very long time. Before the .NET Foundation existed. Mm. Way back, right? But yeah. still going through this checklist, there were some things where it's like, hey, we probably should have done this. And so they they made changes and set some policies up and reorganized some things in their repo to spell things out a bit more that, you know, it kind of made me feel like, yeah, there's some good stuff in this checklist. If this is something that's that's worthwhile to, you know, something like Automapper, that's a very established project. Yeah. I'm looking now that you have 488 repositories, almost 50,000 forks, and over 10,000 contributors. That's pretty, pretty awesome. It's pretty good. Now, you consider in that the number of projects there, or repositories, that's including a lot of different .NET you know, CLR, CoreFX, all those libraries, right? right? So that's, that definitely is, it's, you know, it's not like we have thousands of individual projects, I see. but yeah, it is, it is a, a large number. It's, so, yeah. and it's, it's growing. It's exciting to see, um, you know, continued interest as, as we're talking about it more, people are, you know, pinging me and saying, Hey, I'm interested. How do we get in this? You know, and, mm. and, and then just inside of, um, the .NET repositories as .NET uh, core continues to grow. There's right. continual things. Hey, we're adding this on, we're adding that on. So, And Orleans is in there and Mono is in there as well. Yeah, there's there's some things. Um, so Mono's uh, contributed the uh, system.drawing. Yeah. So, and it's, it's great with the open licenses, being able to share code back and forth between both, both of those. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exciting. Fantastic. Hey, uh, before we jump on to the next topic, let's just pause here to take a break and hear from our sponsor. This episode of .NET Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud platform. What? Isn't this a .NET show? Yeah. .NET runs on the Google Cloud platform, man. Everything in .NET? You bet. All the .NET core libraries and more, including 200 plus Google.com and cloud services. Hey, John Skeet's behind it. He's a genius. The John Skeet? The Rescue the Princess John Skeet from Stack Overflow? <laughs> yeah, the one and only. You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine, which is Google's hosted Kubernetes environment, and it runs like, well, Google. But what about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. I'm reading it now. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps. Yep. You can get stack driver logging, error reporting, and tracing support for .NET and .NET Core. Also, there are PowerShell commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux. And if you need help, there are a great set of partners to get workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. .NET on Google. Who knew? 
All right, we're back. It's uh, .NET Rocks, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell talking to John Galloway about the .NET Foundation. And let's uh, switch now to the Summer of Code. We want to know all about this. What is it? How? Why? Yeah. What? Where? Who? What is Summer yep. of Code, John? So, so we're calling this the .NET Summer Hackfest. Um, this is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. Since starting at Microsoft, um, I was inspired by Google Summer of Code. Um, there's also a, a project, some, some .NET um, open source old timers might remember, called Code 52, which was uh, several people, Brendan Forrester, um, Andrew Tobin, and some other folks, like they were running this thing for, for uh, they tried to do a new open source .NET, or a new open source project every week for a year. Hmm. And I think, I think it made it through a couple of months and then kind of crashed because it's just too much for, yeah, it's you a know, lot. It's yeah. a lot. Um, but so, so it was some of the most fun I've ever had programming. And we would do things like one week we'd say, hey, let's build an app that, you know, as you type on the keyboard, it shows the keystrokes you're typing in the corner. And then the next week it was like, hey, let's build a GitHub add-in for Outlook, you know, that yeah. helps you track your, you know, and just all kinds of stuff all over the place. So the idea with this is with .NET Foundation, we're running this this thing that's running for uh so it's six weeks there's three sessions the session one goes july 24 through august 4 session two goes august 7 through august 18 and session three goes august 21 through september 1 wow and during each during each session we're having projects uh say hey we'd like to be part of this and they're hosting a session so as an example you know we've got humanitarian toolbox down for session three and the idea is during that time, it's a two-week hack fest, um, and we're, we're kind of helping bring developers in, get some publicity on these uh, on the projects, and then also sponsoring some in-person events. So, for instance, I was on with uh, the folks at MVVM Cross, who are mostly in Amsterdam, mm. uh, on a call with them last week, and they've got some big things. They have a, a kickoff um, thing they have a, a final day hack fest and a party at the end over in Amsterdam. So I'm helping kind of organize those in person events for these oh, as well. That's awesome. Yeah. So the idea is, you know, we'll have these two week periods working on. So the projects we've got listed now, we've got Keen IO SDK, we've got Brighter dot uh, VVM, we've got Humanitarian Toolbox, eShop on containers, Image Sharp, Aka.net. MVVM cross, yeah. probably a bunch of others. <laughs> and, and so the idea with this is these projects are going to be seeing what they can get done in two weeks. And it's a public thing. People can join in. Um, and we'd really like, among other things, we'd like for newbies, people who are new to .NET open source or are, you know, are, are, have been doing .NET development for a while, but maybe their corporate job has them working on you know, not yeah. the newest stuff. And right. they'd like to maybe say, say you'd like to hack on .NET on containers. Well, you know, join in on the eShop on containers project and work with Cesar De La Torre and his, you know, all, all these people who really know this stuff, right? So you're going to have some materials to get people up to speed on the base technology to use. I mean, I'm just thinking of people who aren't, you know, familiar with doing open source remote projects, maybe not all that familiar with GitHub integration in Visual Studio or, or that kind of thing, or VSTS. You have some mm -hmm. of those core things? Yeah. So what we're doing, we've got uh, with the three sessions, session one is we're working with just one project, and that's this Keen IO SDK. Uh, Keen IO is an event logging monitoring system. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they have some, they have a, a free tier where you get like a $20 grant that'll, you could track 20 million events. It's, it's, you know, pretty substantial what you can do for free. So we're working with them on the first session. And part of what we want to get out of that is more kind of like, here's the kit, here's the guidance for what each project should have. So yeah, we definitely have, as, as you come to each of these projects, we're going to have them have it like a welcome page just for summer of code that we'll link to. Yeah, nice. And, and that'll have the like, here's how to get started. Here's what the project does. Here's how to do a commit. There's different kind of workflows people use for GitHub and, and Git in general. And so we're going to have that detailed. Here's here's the process we want you to do for doing a commit, you know, that kind of thing. That's great. Well, it's always a big part of our conversation when doing a codeathon for 
uh, already, for example, in the HD box deck is like, all right, let's walk. We use GitHub flow and, and you've got to walk people through that. It's a particular approach to right. building software with lots of people and in a, uh, a sort of parallel way that's manageable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's something where it's not, it's not hard. I'm seeing more and more projects will have like written out a contributing guidelines, a contributing dot, a dot markdown or whatever. Um, but it's something where each, each project can be a little bit different and you get, some people are scared to get started because they don't know they're, they're afraid to do something wrong. They're afraid what they have to do. Sometimes people will you know, do something in a lot more of a complex way because they're just not sure. Mm -hmm. um, or sometimes you'll get somebody, you'll, you know, submit a pull request out of the blue with, you know, 4,000 changes and they've resharpened the whole project and everything. And right. that's not helpful either, right? Duplicating, <laughs> so, duplicating repositories yeah. by accident. I mean, you've seen them right. all, right? Yep. Well, I certainly think with different projects, you've got different kind of goals too. I mean, I know we're anomalous in humanitarian toolbox that we're doing all the requirements gathering from the disaster response organizations. So we're generally not asking developers to come up with a feature. We've broken it down as a distinct item already that they can pick to choose from. But I got to think with a lot of other projects, they are looking for original ideas and original contributions. Yeah, it's uh, exactly. It's something where, you know, so usually I think, and we've discussed this before, Richard, I, when we talked about humanitarian toolbox on hurting code but the, yeah. the idea is like th this flow where probably the best thing to do is log an issue and say hey i'm thinking about doing this you know w or before you actually kind of dive in and start doing it like yeah. log an issue and get that discussion going and that's that's usually you know that's the best way to get started have the conversation and, and in our case it's take one of these issues and make a comment on it you can see the conversation that's already going on. But yeah, I definitely believe in this idea in any open source project that start with a conversation. Don't don't start with code. You need to get some context as to what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, and, you know, that reminds me, too. There's there's this uh, up for grabs dot net. Mm -hmm. We're using that as part of this hack fest, the dot net summer hack fest. But mm. The idea is like, hey, have a common label that you'll use for your issues that are good for beginners, that are something that's a pretty easy place to get started. It's a defined scope. It's you're not going to, you know, get in there and it's find out that, oh, no, I've got to change 9000 things to make it work. You know, that kind of thing. So yeah, we we use up for grabs uh, because we often have brand new contributors and we want to give them easy items to tag. In fact, we really ask folks that have experience in open source, you know, please leave the up for grabs for the first timers to, yeah. uh, to get yeah. them to get their feet wet. And that's something where you can see some projects where they really think it through that, that when they log the issue and put it up for grabs, they'll kind of even sometimes have a checklist. They'll say, here's kind of where to get started. Here's some things to watch out for, that kind of stuff. I, I flatly admit to, you know, one of the advantages of being a charity, <laughs> for better or worse, has been uh, we work with some testing conferences. And so they would run competitions to just beat the holy snot out of some of our software. And mm. you get hundreds of bug reports and we'd log them as issues and often they are they're spelling mistakes or they're they're small things that do need to be fixed they make for good up for grabs and it just was a great way to get people new to the project to just oh yeah fix that dialogue correct that formatting can you ca intercept that key or put a better filter on this text box all the thing that evil testers find for you that you just don't think of as a developer yeah. And as you, you mentioned documentation there, and that's a great way to get started too. It's just, you know, go in and fix or, or expand on some documentation that's, you're not going to break the build by like writing some docs. Um, so that's, that's a great place to get into. Absolutely. You know, when, uh, when Rocky Lockya, Rocky Lockya first came looking at HT box uh, projects, he looked at already his, his response was, you know what? I think I'm going to write some tests. Mm -hmm. And he sat down and laid down a testing framework for us, and uh, and really uh, uh, did a lot in a you know in a weekend. Uh, but Rocky got so jazzed about what we we're doing there, he literally launched his own project around missing kids. That's also part wow. of the HD Box project because he's Rocky Laka. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah. 
It's time to find a contributor to find and kill the spider on John's desk. <laughs> I think he's logged a couple help. of issues. You got to debug your office. <laughs> Issue one, oh, help. <laughs> Is a spider technically a bug? I'm not sure. It might. It's an arachnid. I don't know. He logged. It, yeah, he logged an arthropod. Okay. <laughs> this one's so big. It might be a mammal. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's got teats. <laughs> it's nursing its young. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a D Experience subscription from Dev Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with Dev Express UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React Grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM, state controllers like Redux, etc. And it supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. You can check it out and test it for free by getting it from GitHub. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Philip Anthony Murray. Congratulations, Phil. Yep. Golf clap for you, sir. Yep. Absolutely. And Philip just won a D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com. Click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you have to sign up to win. All right, John, it's your turn. You know it's coming. Oh, man. <laughs> you got five grand. We're going shopping. What are you buying? You know, right as you started this section, I was like, oh, shoot, I forgot to look that up. I forgot. I, and and this is one of those things where every time when I'm listening, I'm like yelling at the at yeah. the screen going like, hey, no, you should have got this. I think I would get, I would love one of those Surface Studios, the oh, one with the big touch screen and the yeah, dial. So beautiful. So those are, those are pretty. And that's, I'm looking at 4,200. So with yeah. my remaining money, I would like to get one of these keyboardios. I don't Keyboardio. know if you've seen this. K E Y B O A R D dot I O. And it's a it's hard to describe, but basically they've taken like, you know, they've applied kind of, it looks what? sort of like a yeah, it looks like a guitar style, like it's really nice maple wood kind that of is cool. and then yeah, and then it's it's a really cool looking keyboard. Um so it was a Kickstarter, but they're actually shipping them out now. Can you split um, it in two? Like, um, yeah, really? Yeah, so can we split it, it? It's split. I'll describe it. It's it's split down the middle. It's kind of like your typical Microsoft ergonomic keyboard, in which the the keys are slightly flared out and bent a little bit. And, but this one's split down the middle, and it's really nice wood, as John said. And it looks like they come apart, so you could like put one on either side of a chair or something. No, yeah. I That'd be really nuts yeah. to actually strap it so you didn't have to lift your arms up. But yeah, there's a, uh, some yeah. pictures further down where it's like lay it flat, tent it up so the center's peaked a bit so your wrists don't rotate as far, or get it up off the top and angled on a tripod or fully split. Wow. And it's pretty neat. That it's It runs with, um, uses Arduino for the kind of firmware or whatever. So it's designed for hackers. Like you can you can change it around, you can reprogram it. It's, uh, there's... Uh, color LEDs under each key and you can program like all different kinds of sequences or interaction for them. So, I mean, it's, it's 329, which seems actually kind of reasonable for the quality of this. So I've been, I've been looking this, I've been, you know, checking this out regularly and I was excited. Yeah. It's a $300 keyboard, but think about things you use every day. Shouldn't you be spending money on them? Like this is, this is a worthwhile uh, expense, really. Like, that's that's part of their their intro video that they did for for the Kickstarter. As they said, like, look, someone that becomes someone that's a musician doesn't say, "Hey, I'll just use some cheap old plastic Goodwill guitar." They they invest in a really nice guitar, right? Because this is mm. what they this is their profession, and so that's that's kind of the pitch they make for that. Like I, Richard I, and I with our microphones. Oh yeah. There you go. Yeah. And even then, we don't buy, you know, multi-thousand dollar microphones, but we do buy pro gear. 
I'm a, I'm a bit of a keyboard aficionado. So I've got one machine with a DAS keyboard for using cherry blue switches because it's got it's got almost exactly the same feel as the old IBM 5150 mm. keyboard. Like they got that nailed. Yeah. But I've also uh. got a couple of soft touches and things like you. You can get as obsessive as you want to get. Uh, maybe no, not as much as I want to get, but you know. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm pretty happy. I've always like, I've looked at the kind of nicer keyboards with the nicer s- switches and all that, but I got to have an ergonomic keyboard. Yeah. I, I've I've had trouble with that in the past where, you know, when I type on a flat keyboard, it after just a, a week or two, it like really starts bugging my wrists. So I've got one of the Microsoft ergonomic keyboards and it works great for me. Um, but so I'm excited to see this. This is a, an ergo keyboard. That's, you know, it's so also using the top tier switches. They've tested putting the two halves up to 15 feet apart and everything works just great. We just don't know anybody <laughs> with arms that long, but, uh, but you could obviously programming, but you could modify a chair and just put them on either sides of the chair. So, you know, yeah. so your oh, chair yeah, becomes the keyboard. Now you got me thinking about an old Linux guy I knew who used a split keyboard, an earlier version than this thing, so that he could program laying in bed. Screen was projected onto the ceiling, <laughs> hands on either side of him, and he 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 basically lost his mind. He would code until he <laughs> fell asleep. Then he'd wake up and he'd continue coding, right? And it just, yeah. You should get up and move once in a while, people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's know, funny, this... Looking at this, I when I was younger and more naive, I had an idea where I wanted to have a keyboard where I could just rest my hands on my lap, you know, one on each, like my each knee, and there and do a cording. I had a friend at work that had a cording keyboard, but it was expensive, and I was like, I was like, why right. don't I just buy a keyboard from the store and break it apart and like make it work, you know? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I'm dealing with like, oh yeah, it's all this USB firmware, and you've got it like you can't really just do that. No. <laughs> So, yeah, just it's wow. just not that simple. But yeah, beautiful piece, Good man. Good find. I mean, and, yeah, okay, yeah, the four thousand dollar computer with the slowly, you know, angleable screen and stuff—that's fine. But this three hundred dollar keyboard, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you're talking <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> oh, well, dude, I I don't know. There's much more to say about this. The the uh, the hack fest itself. Uh, any project is worthwhile. Anybody can submit anything. Well, so, you know, we're trying to, I've been working with people. We do want projects that can really host that, that have, you know, enough kind of committers and a core team and, and some experience going so that they can integrate new people to the project. Right. right. So we don't want to have like, Hey, everybody. And so I did have some people say like, here's a little pet project I haven't worked on for a bit. And, you know, it'd be great to have some people help out. And I agonized over it, but so far I've told them, I don't think so. Um, so anyone can submit, there's a, um, in the blog post, it has a link to it. The easiest way, uh, there's, um, I made a a short link for it. It's AKAMS, uh, .NET summer, just one word. And that'll take you to, you know, place where you can see the, how to sign up and what it's about. Um, and the, this, there's a nomination form where you can submit your own project or you can nominate another project Mm -hmm. and tell us, Hey, I'm nominating this thing. Can you please get in touch with them? Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm really happy with the kind of variety we've gotten so far. You know, we've, we've gotten, um, we've gotten things like library SDKs, we've got imaging, we've got mobile, we've got containers. So as, as far as it's always frustrating as a developer when you're like, well, I'm a web dev, but I'd really like to check out, you know, this thing. I'd really like to write a a mobile app or I'd really like to, but then what do you do? Like if you're going to just go and download the thing and file a new project. But then what do you do? You kind of got the blank screen syndrome thing and, and, or, and it's hard to kind of just join into a new open source project. So I'm really hoping this is a place where, Hey, if, if you've been always wanting to check out something like, you know, containers or, or like humanitarian toolbox, like get into a project and this is kind of a great kind of jumping on point where we're going to have people there wait, expecting you to show up and happy to help you out. Mm. You see, at Humanitarian Toolbox, we have our, our superpower, which is James Chambers. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, because we are building out the work items ourselves and stuff, James is the guy who's just on top of that, building up sets of issues and so forth, doing the interviews with the NGOs to get that data together. So that there's items for you to grab and, and, and work with pretty much on demand. And he does Google Hangout standups every week so that folks can sort of get involved and, and dig in. And plus, we've got the codathons going. I think there's one at that conference. Uh, in Wisconsin Dells, which I'm not going to be able to be at because I'll be down in uh, Australia at NDC Sydney doing one during the workshop days there as well. But, you you know, there's lots of folks that work on these projects from home. You don't have to go to a codathon if you don't want to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's, we're, we're also, we're, you know, working with the project and projects and discussing, but we want to set up some things like uh, some, like Google Hangouts or some virtual Hackfest, you know, where it's like, hey, everyone just jump on this thing and we'll just, you know, talk as we work and we'll, um, we'll virtually, ha- you know, have, <laughs> have a Hackfest thing, right. like some, some virtual events. So, yeah. And it doesn't just have to be charity stuff. There's all kinds of software can stand to be worked on here and get ideas. Like I got, I think the ACA.net project is super cool. And if you've never really thought about actors in a big way, to have those guys working, alongside you while you explore this thing and, and get your head around it. It's there. Talk about adding to your resume. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, this is a great, and this is a place where you're able to contribute to a, it, like a project people are really using. Like ACA has mm-hmm. some, some large users. It's, mm-hmm. it's in production on some pretty big uh, applications. And so to be able to contribute to shipping code, like you said, put it on your resume, but also to work on something that's not like just project, 23 on your computer that's just going to linger there, right? You know, so actually to contribute to something real. What's the biggest challenge you've met so far in putting this whole thing together? Well, you know, it's, it's new. It's just getting started. I think probably one of the harder things has just been explaining what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's like, well, do I start by explaining the schedule? Do I explain what we're trying to do? So, um, so that's been part of it is just kind of communicating what, what we're trying to do here. Um, right. it's, I have to say I was overwhelmed. I thought that it would be hard to get projects involved. And when I put the word out, I was really kind of thinking we'd have one or two projects per session. Yeah. And already we've got five signed up for session three. So I I think that as it goes, you know, just coordinating and, and learning as we go and, and optimizing it is, um, is going to be the challenge. And, you know, my secret evil master plan is I want to do this bigger next summer. Mm. So the idea is, you know, start a little earlier and maybe have some more sessions with some breaks in between them. Um, so, uh, but I'd love to see with this kind of thing, you usually get some people kind of step out of the woodwork that are awesome, but you just haven't heard of them before. Right. And they're, they're like you're saying, James Chambers does like does such a great job with humanitarian toolbox. So we'd love to see some people kind of step forward, you know, really like run, run some of these projects really well. And then they're on the, they're on speed dial for next year. Right. It really says a lot about leadership that, um, a lot of there's so many projects and things that people can become leaders in if they just decide to jump in and and do it. And you know, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of guys like um, John Skeet on uh, Stack Overflow. I mean, he became the de facto voice of Stack Overflow just by having the most answers. You know what I mean? Uh, and the same thing can happen if you if you just lean into it and step in and and and, and assume the position. Pretty soon you look around and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of like the, the de facto person in this group. You know, I've, I've had some, um, some, like just recently at NDC Oslo, I talked to Adam Sitnik and he's, he's a developer that's contributed to benchmark.net and some other things lately. And he told me basically he had just started contributing to and discussing some things on a repo. And pretty soon he's having conversations with Joe Duffy, who's his hero. It's blowing his mind, you know. And then he said through, through his contributions, now he's traveling to and speaking at conferences. And, you know, he's just, completely it's blown his mind i've talked to other developers too several other developers where they're like you know hey i just took this little step and all of a sudden whoa this whole world opened up to me you know (laughs) so it really is what adam had pointed out to me is now is this really cool inflection point where there are some new areas opening up where you can be an expert you can be the expert on for instance you know 
.NET on containers relatively new or .NET right. running on other operating systems or you know there's some some new things that are that are coming out with performance reliability different things on .NET Core that it's kind of shaken up the board game now the whatever the the um, analogy I'm going for there but it's shaken up all the pieces and now this is a great time to jump in and say like, I want to dig into this thing or I want to get involved in this thing. And you can become that expert very quickly. Yep. Yeah. And and there's so many new bits moving around here. The already project was built on the .NET core going all the way back to the bloody betas. And Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, there was some bleeding there. That's why I call them bloody. (laughs) But uh, it was, you know, you weren't going to be using this at the office. So it was a great way to get some exercise on core. And it strikes me that you're right in the window with this uh, hack fest, John, that we're probably going to see core two somewhere in this time span or at least towards the end of it. I know it's certainly on the radar for the already project of when do we flip over to core two? Yep. Yeah, that's definitely planned for August. And so the and the um, that's part of the the timing on this. Normally with something like .NET Summer Hackfest, we would have done this earlier in the summer, but we really wanted to do it towards the end when we'd have .NET Core 2 and people would be able to port their app. You know, a, a major goal for a lot of these projects is making sure it's running well on .NET Core 2. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, the timing now is it's a great time to jump into .NET Core. Like you said, things have been bloody and all over the place. I mean, I've definitely been working with this since... You know, David Fowler would send me bizarre half-working code <laughs> back before, back when it was Project K, right? And right. and and so it's gone through so many iterations. And I think now is finally, you know, when when .NET Core 1.0 shipped and 1.1, it was they people started actually using it in production and porting major libraries to it and running into some big blockers. And they'd say, "Hey, we're missing these APIs. We have these things that we we're ready to jump in now, but." were blocked. And so .NET right. Core 2 really is focused at like bringing those APIs back and making it something where you can really, you know, you can, you can adopt it. You can, you can um, put it to, put it to work. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I feel like now really .NET Core 2.0 shipping is, is a big time to, to jump in. Yeah. It's going to be close. To, you know, it brings me back to 2005. Mm-hmm. When when Absolutely. the original .NET two shipped, and it was pre, which was also the third version of .NET, just like this one is, right? And and again, it was you know we forget because .NET's been so much part of our lives for so long. But in two thousand five, it was still very much up in the air. We still had a lot of existing applications that were MFC or VB six, and you know not everything moved over to .NET because it just wasn't ready. And then when two yeah. landed. Two was the version you were like, oh, you know what? This is simply a better way to build X. Yep. Yeah, I mean, .NET 2 was such a big thing. I remember working in a financial shop, and, and I, I went up to a um, uh, something in, in San Francisco. So I'm in San Diego. I drove up to San Francisco and went to a, an event. It was a TAP or something. It was an early adopter thing. And... And just going through and coming back, I'm like, you guys, we got to get on 2.0 right away. And then my bosses were all like, yeah, we're going to adopt it very slowly over the next few years. And I was like, oh, you know, because <laughs> right, right. it really was such a huge step forward in so many. It really fixed a lot of these pain points. Yeah, no, it, so, it, yeah. For, it was easy if you had an existing .NET app you're experimenting with or was delivering in any way. Although I did find people get hung up on 1.1 for quite a while. But yeah, getting, yeah, there were problems with 1.1. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And you got into hacks that made it hard to get off of 1.1. Right. I remember Billy Hollis writing his own uh, binding mechanism because the binding was in Windows forms was kind of messed up. He, re- yeah. he rewrote his own binding mechanism. Well, but then you do Hollis. get it. <laughs> yeah. But then you do get into the whole you break it, you bought it thing where then yeah. the next version comes out and you've got all your customizations and it's kind of like, well. Yeah. All right, good luck. <laughs> well, you also got to get into that. Oh, we should be ripping out this code of our own and using the ones that's now standard in the in the framework. Mm. Exactly. Well, the, and the promises we've gotten from Hunter and the team has been, this is the one with, you know, the bulk of the framework is going to be there from the old version. So I'm just wondering how much lift and shift we're going to be able to do. Can I really open up an existing like 4.7 project, switch frameworks and recompile and should be good to go? Yeah. You know, as long as you haven't called system.web, you're going to be fine. Yeah. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and they do have some, you know, portability analyzers and some things um, yeah. to help you kind of, so you don't have to trial and error. You can get a scan before you do it and, and see. Yeah. Um, definitely, I'm hoping that, and then also .NET standard, right? So you have, you're able to share code between .NET full framework and .NET core, and that, that should hopefully also make it easier for people to kind of share the code and make a kind of controlled move between the two. Because obviously, I mean, like I was saying, I've, I've worked in, big companies too. And I, I know how it is like Microsoft people, you'll, you'll hear them talk and it's like, this thing shipped. Everyone's going to be on it right away. And it's like, yeah. no, it's going to take a few years. You know, yeah. that's okay. Yep. yep. Enterprises migrate slowly, right? I mean, yeah. Yep. Enterprises have a lot of money committed. They have a lot of projects out there. Shifting stuff is not a trivial move. It's, you know, you're not a startup. You're a big company with a lot of dependencies. You, you got to be careful. Yeah. And and it's got to be it's got to be a business decision, right? So it's, yeah, it's got to make sense for you, right? Yeah. Well, John, what's next for you? What's in your inbox? Oh boy. Well, the huge thing on my radar is this uh, this um you know .NET Summer Hackfest. So sure. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be doing a ton of stuff over this next month coordinating that. Um, and then in September we've got uh we've got .NET Conf, which is uh you know it's it'll be exciting. That's .NET Conference and yeah. and it's a three day thing, so. You know, that's that's another big thing on my radar. Speaking of .NET Conf, Carl, you and I are going to be in Stockholm for the DevInt EU, and our closing keynote is the opening keynote for .NET Conf. Yep, that's right. It's going to be an exciting fall. Yeah, it's going to be a lot going on. It really is. And, and, you know, it's with, like, .NET Core 2 shipping. We really kind of hope there's a progression, right? You've got .NET Core 2 shipping. Hey, let's build a bunch of cool stuff and get familiar with it, get your... You know, get your feet wet and your hands dirty, and and with the Hackfest, and then let's see. We're going to be showing off some of the things that people built at .NET Conf in September. So awesome, awesome. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, John, thanks so much for finally being an official guest on .NET Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Always it's great exciting. to talk to you, man. Yep. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a